All right, we're back for another Southwest Climate Podcast, which I'm going to dub today as the uh, the Monsoon and El Nino Show. Uh, so we have a bunch to talk about, Mike. This is Mike Crimmins, longtime Clemens contributor, weather and climate expert, avid watcher of Netflix original material and syndicated material. And syndicated, absolutely, yes. And most importantly, elite MATLAB scriptwriter. Oh my gosh, thanks, Zach. Did I miss anything? Uh, no, can you get it? I'd like a t-shirt that says all that, please. That'd be great. <laughs> um, okay, so this is, uh, this is honestly my favorite time to talk about climate because there's a lot of action uh, near and far. We've got the monsoon to discuss, which, uh, which never disappoints, even when it disappoints. Um, and we've also got to talk about the Pacific sea surface temperatures or the do-what-it-wants-to-do El Nino. <laughs> That's a great name for it. I love it. <laughs> Uh, which is uh, causing a lot of chagrin for those uh, apocalyptic El Nino forecasters. Mm, yep. So, uh, so thanks all for tuning in to Clemus's Penthouse Podcast Studios, located at uh, 715 North Park Avenue. And I'm being sarcastic today on purpose because um, the climate, I think, is sucker punching us and being sarcastic. So I'm trying to match its its wit. Right. Um, the, the climate in this room, I, how is it possible to be 65 degrees Fahrenheit inside this room? <laughs> I don't know, but you know, we spend a lot of effort and uh, attention given to trying to say something about the monsoon and the months leading up to the monsoon. Uh, You know, we do a lot of in-soak compositing. We do a lot of sort of research into this. And you know, from now, so no more for me, actually. You're done. I'm done with that. From now on, my forecast is simply going to be July 1 to the July 3. I think think you're safe. You and the the Farmer's Almanac. Which is when it started this this year. Yeah, yeah, July 3rd, right? If we go by the old definition, yep, we hit the magic dew point number, um, courtesy of the National Weather Service, uh, right on July 3rd. So if my forecast is July 1 through 3, and if my memory serves me correct, that's actually when it started the last two years before. Can people best that can people best that yeah if you're safe better i mean it's gonna take some risks zach (laughs) (laughs) okay so the monsoon kicked off uh since our last episode uh basically here in southern arizona southeast uh arizona and around like mike said uh july 3rd i think it was and we had a fairly good beginning period if uh the first week first 10 days or so if you looked at some of the the rain gauges here in in southeast Arizona, they were all slightly above above average for that for that period. Yeah, I think I think at most spots that we measure rain, um, you know, got got some water in those rain gauges. And across, you know, if you look at some of the rain gauges across uh, Tucson in particular, we've got some networks of volunteers with uh, rainlog.org and Cocoraz. Um, you know, people were getting rain in their backyard. I even had rain twice in my back, maybe three times actually. I should go back and look. So just to do some roundup, um, and this is totals um, basically from July 1 to July 16, and then at July 16, we'll talk about this in a minute, uh, we had our first monsoon break set in, so there's been virtually no precipitation since since then. But up until July 16, uh, Tucson Airport uh, had about 1.4 inches of rain, which is which was uh, about 0.4 above, above its average for that period. Douglas Airport, 2.8. Nogales Airport, 3.4, both above above their average. Sierra Vista, uh, 4.87, which was pretty anomalous. Its average was about 1.6 inches. Bisbee, Safford, Wilcox, Picacho Peak, Peak uh, Oregon Pipe, all were above average. And I'm pulling that information from the Tucson's National Weather Service uh, monsoon tracking webpage, which does a nice job of sort of summarizing uh, the, the monsoon. So July 16th happened. Take us, take us, uh, take us through this period. I, I, I'm not ready to jump into the bleak talk of the the break in the 
in, in the monsoon that we're sort of suffering through today um, in the last over a week You're, Let's now. focus more on the positive. Well, okay. So I, I just wanted to make sure everybody caught, um, you know, Zach was sort of moving through some of those numbers of Southeast Arizona, but I caught a number from um, Coronado National Monument, the headquarters down there, which is not too far from Sierra Vista, which has had actually 7.5 inches of rain in uh, 12 events. Um, 12 so events? 12, rain 12 days, and um, actually five of those days had over one inch of precip. I mean, wow. they're talking about a run of days there where you're filling up to seven and a half inches in just two weeks at the beginning of the monsoon. So not too shabby. Right. And again, that highlights the point that we've made numerous times. It's that the, the, the monsoon can be hit or miss and it can be hit or miss right hit, next to each it other. It can be hit and hit too. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> right at that point. I mean, at, you know, 7.5 inches, you can pack it up. I mean, you can, you can, you can uh, end the monsoon early there at that point. I mean, clearly we, we were hoping for some more. So generally speaking, um, a, a pretty decent start to the to the monsoon. Yeah. It certainly I, hasn't been a dud. It hasn't been a dud. And I think that you and I talked about this too, is that I don't, we have such low expectations for the monsoon here that when we have an average monsoon, like if you look at statistically, like it comes in on time and it rains as much as it should, it looks spectacular to us. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. It's been, you look at the numbers, it's pretty average. Came in on time. It's rained about as much as you'd expect it to rain. It's rained in the spots you've expected it to rain. So, you know, not too shabby. But what would a spectacular monsoon look like at this period? I don't think I've experienced one. I don't think I have either. I mean, maybe it coming in two weeks early and then raining every day, and we're already at, you know, 200% of normal by mid-July. I, I can't think of a, of a season that's actually done that. But, you know, we've had, some, we've had some early starts in the past. But So is normal the new normal? <laughs> Hopefully normal is the old normal, and it continues to be normal. So... Um, okay, so what about uh, we had a monsoon break though that sat in, set in about a week ago? Yeah, so we had that really. Um, for all you listeners who are here in Tucson area, we had an amazing set of storms roll through on a Sunday um, right prior to that break, where we had a bunch of storms, three waves of storms break out in the middle of the town, a bunch of flash flooding, and it was um, it kind of it kind of was the last hurrah um, up until where we're at right now. Incidentally, I was driving during that event, and I had to drive my car through a uh, a road that was somewhat flooded, and I went. Yeah. Because I was late, and the car in front of me went, and I was like, "I turn knew. around, don't drown, Zach." <laughs> well, it was it, it wasn't a, a risky scenario, but uh, but there has been a lot of research uh, done at here at the University of Arizona that has looked at the number one reason why people cross those. Uh, it's because they follow someone. Else. Because they follow somebody else. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's the tricky thing with Tucson too, and it's a lot of Western cities, is that the 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 streets themselves become the stormwater conveyances. So it's not exactly crossing a flooded wash. It's driving down a flooded wash it was designed that way yeah exactly it was set up that way okay so um the 16th monsoon break tell us a little bit about why that break occurred well we had is occurring we're still in it yeah big big sort of shift in the circulation pattern across the u.s and that was um you know we, we talk a lot about a monsoon ridge the the ridge started to break down and sag and we had some um dry air kind of move in from the southwest and as soon as you start to get that dry air coming in here and, and um, scouring out the moisture, you settle into these break periods. And, and since then, we've been in a, a really unfavorable um, you know, circulation pattern that's, that's not reinforced any new moisture coming in. And it's gotten hotter and drier and hotter and drier until we're at today, where the ridge is starting to try to rebuild right overhead. So we've got those, those really hot temperatures settling in. If that ridge is overhead, the high pressure is overhead, you're going to have um, this sort of battle between 
a better flow, which is going to pull in some moisture from the south and the east, but also um, really high temperatures. So we're kind of in that, that sort of resetting up period right now. There seems to be some sort of self-reinforcing aspect of, of the monsoon. Like when it's, when it's hot, it sort of begets being hotter. And so how much of this break can be attributed to this sort of perpetualness within the, within the system? Or Well, thankfully, that doesn't. That's not how it works, right? I mean, we'd be in serious trouble. We'd have in serious trouble. Run, run away, <laughs> run away. Yeah, exactly. Run away, um, high reinforcing high pressure or something like that. No, you can. These um, these breaks are just sort of wiggles in the mean flow and um, sort of unfavorable fetches of moisture and circulation. And so, and really, if you think about where that high pressure sets up, ideally, it's going to be you know, as we call it, the four corners high. If it's north of us, and it could be northwest of us, it could be northeast of us. As long as it's north of us, it's going to have that easterly, southerly um, component to it, which is going to be in a much better spot to drag in moisture from the south. So, um, so to sort of answer your question, you on a dime you can break out of these things. You know, you, and this is where the the whims of the monsoon system becomes so hard to predict because thunderstorm complexes that fire up in Chihuahua or Sonora overnight can change things very, very quickly. Um, you know, then they, they can push. Like last night, we had a um, some thunderstorm complexes in Mexico push moisture back into southeast Arizona, which is setting up our rain chances for later on today. Now, conversely, though, uh, you kind of have the sort of there's sort of a built-in break mechanism for the monsoon, such that if you get rain on one day, and I was noticing this uh, uh, last week or a couple couple weeks ago, actually, when the monsoon was really firing up, if you get a lot of rain one day. Uh, or some rain for multiple days, you know, it sort of shuts down the monsoon a little bit. It takes some it takes more time for it to ramp up again because you have that cloud cover. The temperature's cool. It, it suppresses a sort of instability in the atmosphere locally. Yeah, typically, you know, the, the, the meteorologists will say that the atmosphere gets worked over. You know, that's one of the ways of saying it, is basically that you've exhausted all of that instability or that, you know, the instability is lots of heat and moisture at lower levels of atmosphere, which is unstable. Um, they to get, use it up. Yeah, they get, it's like fuel being um, released. You know, one of the, the hallmarks of the monsoon is um, <clears throat> very, very weak flow, meaning that there's, there's, not, there's not much wind in any levels of the atmosphere. So when you do have these thunderstorm events, the next day, there isn't, if there isn't real strong um, wind flow pattern to sort of move all of that convective cloud debris and... Um, reset the atmosphere you can have these multiple day um breaks even know? though that sort of, sort of like the precipitate or the moisture is available yeah even though the moisture is available the, the 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 profile of the atmosphere when we think about where the temperatures are you know you want them to get cold as they go up in the atmosphere very quickly right you want to have cold temperatures in the mid-level of the atmosphere because it's very hot at the surface that's going to give you a lot of instability um a worked over atmosphere will sort of equalize that a little bit and make it more stable um so to to get um, it's not to say that, that so that's sort of this sort of short term um, variability in the monsoon, you know, big day, down day, big day, down day. But you can have situations where there's real good, strong um, flow at the low levels and, and mid levels of the atmosphere that um, can quickly move out those clouds in the morning and quickly reset the atmosphere, you know, bring cooler air back in at middle levels of the atmosphere and make you ready again. And we actually, at the beginning of the monsoon, we had back to back precip days because we had really good, nice strong easterly flow associated with some easterly waves moving across has since sort of um you know we're now under the sort of the 
the heart of the ridge, the high pressure system building right overhead is not, that's where the flow is the weakest and the temperatures at the mid-levels of the atmosphere are actually kind of warm. So, okay, so that brings us to sort of looking, you know, forward a little bit. Precipital water has increased in the last day or so, so... Yep, some slugs and moisture have come out of those storms um, from the south, and some moisture is creeping up from the Gulf California back into Arizona. Are we sort of in a in setting up a, a system that is more favorable for looking like it did initially, or...? Well, it's, it's, on the, like, it's now we're at sort of the day-to-day timescale... You know, it, it looks pretty good today. Um, it looks less favorable tomorrow. Um, it looks a little better again a couple of days from now because we're tracking another easterly wave in from the, the Gulf of Mexico, sort of coming in from the east. And, you know, now we're at sort of the day-to-day. Where is that high-pressure system going to set up? Um, how strong is that easterly flow going to be? Where is the moisture going to surge in from? Right. So is there anything, though, that is tugging or pushing and pulling that ridge, like, synoptically or regionally that may, like hedge our bets one way or the other yeah that's it's been the interesting thing i think about these last couple of weeks has been watching the the northern hemisphere jet stream pattern has been um so typically in the summertime in the northern hemisphere the weather patterns get pretty boring because um the jet stream retreats far to the the polar north it's sort of following all the cold air up but there's been a, a very very busy and active jet stream pattern across the whole globe right now And what you've seen, and you've probably have heard in the news, um, there's been some amazing fall-like weather in the eastern U.S. that's come in through a couple of cold fronts. And that um, influences the position and the strength of our monsoon ridge as well, even even a downstream pattern. Um, It's tended to sort of squish it and move it out of the way, and we've had had it um, sort of pushed around a bit. So that is what has influenced this monsoon break then? Uh, Yeah, it's actually been part of it, right? Well, there, it is a it is a complicated algorithm. It is, and I mean, you think about it. It's you know, it's rain. It's we're talking about rain in our backyards, but we're looking globally to what's going on. And, and I, I mentioned to you earlier, um, before the podcast, is that there's been some really interesting discussions on some some weather blogs about um, the influence of some of the typhoons getting reabsorbed into the jet stream way way on the other side of the world, and that's been what's causing um, some of the waves to break over um, the U.S. and causing some of these these very highly amplified ridges, so meaning a real strong ridge to the north and then these cold outbreaks in the eastern U.S. So we're all part of this dance. Okay, give us your, your monsoon outlook. Oh, I'm God. putting you on the, so, on the I, spot I, here. Hopefully it'll rain again in the next 30 <laughs> days. I mean, that's probably... Wait, that good. is not a forecast. It's not a very good... It's, no, it's, it's, it's of the quality you should expect from me, though. <laughs> um, so you're not going to be put on the spot here. I'm not. I mean, and again, it's we're we're into the monsoon, so it's really really, you know, we're on it we're taking it day by day as they say. And I'm actually just looking to this afternoon to see if we're going to get anything sort of moving through the area. The model suggests something. I don't know. We're at one of those really uh, knife-edge days. Okay, so you uh you, a minute ago you mentioned uh looking far off and that's a nice segue into uh, the second part of this podcast which uh, is looking at or talking a little bit about the yet to be fully uh, uh, emerging El Nino. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I've been writing about uh, how we'll know more in the next month or, or conditions should become clear in the next month. As I've been for six months now. For six months now. The ne- we'll just, we've, been, <laughs> we've been kicking it 30 days down the road now for six months. So, okay. So why don't you just take us to the state of El Nino Right now. It, yeah, I feel like it's Groundhog Day for us with El Nino because 
we keep saying this over and over again. I, I remember um, we were having this discussion in May, and we we're just sort of uh, we're trying to push past what they call the spring predictability barrier, which is the challenge that the models have of sort of seeing past the springtime. And I think both of you were saying it's not it's no longer upcoming. It's, it's no longer it's, upcoming. I know it's like we're we're it's not spring anymore, yeah. right? So we should we should know. And I I couldn't have imagined that we'd be sitting here in July with without some cer- certainty as far as where this thing is going. Um, right, and it's worth going back a little bit and saying that uh, three, four months ago, there was a lot of indication that uh, an El Nino would emerge soon, sooner than, than, than normal, I guess. Right. And there was some indication that it would be uh, 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 an intense event. There, there was speculation that it could even be something comparable to the 97-98 event, which was one of the largest, if not the largest event on, Absolutely. on record. Yeah, I mean, the ocean put on its best party clothes. I mean, the clothes it hasn't worn since 97-98. I mean, the, the energy... Early on. Early on, early I mean, on. It, I mean, it the, got dressed, uh, it got you know, dressed at the, 8 o'clock. To the so nines, to yeah. I mean, it, it, it was amazing um, expression in the ocean as far as... Um, energy and um, as far as it standing out from or some of the, the El Nino's we've seen even over the past 10 years. So it just seemed inevitable that the, the atmosphere would um, fall in line very quickly with that expression of, of energy in the ocean. And it's been amazing to see very little, a yawn, an atmospheric yawn. Um, I think it, that's worth uh, talking a, a little bit about. What do you mean by the atmosphere falling in line a little bit? So the atmosphere basically needs to... Um, uh, so this this whole idea of El Nino is going to be um, try not to be overly technical, sort of breakdown in the Walker circulation. So just think of that as the easterlies blow across um, the equatorial Pacific, and what we expected to see is that those easters, easterlies would start to break down or slow down in response to having all this new warm water in new places that it doesn't normally see it. And so if that then happens, that then helps reinforce that warm water and so on and so forth. So you sort of get this, this them dancing, basically, working together to reinforce this um, pattern across the Pacific Ocean. But it's been amazing, and there's been all that energy, and then the atmosphere has continued to act like it's that that energy is not even there. So that means the, the easterlies haven't. Yeah, the uh, easterlies have down. been. Yep, they've been as so they've average been, to sometimes above average. Um, that so, then has been squelching that. So as the warm water sort of surfaces in in the East Pacific, yep. it gets it's just getting pushed back off to the um, to the west, which and you, colder would, water resurfaces. Yeah. So it's sort of which, it's yeah. yeah it's expending all of that that um, that nice pool of warm water, and so we've seen real dramatic decreases in that amount of energy in the central and eastern Pacific, which was that fuel that we needed. Now, it's still sea surface temperatures in the typical regions in which we, we pay attention to are still above average. Still above average. So it's it's not like the event has has run out of fuel before it started. It's just, it's like taking longer to, to lock in. And that's actually important because the longer it takes to lock in, the sort of more... Uh, of that energy is wait is sort of wasted, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, Maybe but, not wasted. Wasted is not the right word, but it can't go into uh, the uh, uh, perpetuating or, or strengthening. Right. Right. Yep. yep. You want to have that. Uh, you want to have that energy, that warm water, come to the surface, and then that would be the um, what the atmosphere would be responding to. But but there's been there's still plenty of this is the interesting thing about the current state. There's still lots of warm water, above average water across all of the Pacific. One of the interesting things that's come out with um, the discussions online about El Nino is that there's a there's a new battle cry for we so the battle cry of the spring was 97 98 right remember 97 98 
Well, we've passed that because we're, we're nothing like 97, 98. So it's now 1986. So that's that's the new El Nino battle cry for this year. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I had to actually look it up because I, I thought, 1986, that isn't even coming in, in the top five of my favorite El Ninos. Right. So I had to go back and look at it. 1986 was um, a late forming El Nino. And it was uh, it's it basically kicked it into high gear in August. And it um, peaked at about a moderate strength, and then it ran all the way through the next year. So it was a long-lasting one. Now the the models do suggest uh, El Nino, this El Nino event, kicking in in August, but they do not suggest it's going to be a long-lived. There's actually been some a little bit of waffling the models of it peaking early and ending early, which would be not good for us and if us if we're expecting some uh, impact of this event. Um, but they're but they're all settling in at probably a moderate event, peaking in midwinter and lasting through spring, just kind of like you'd expect. We're still there. I mean, that's still what the models say, even though all my hope is faded. That's but that's just because I'm getting pessimistic at this point. So, is there anything, any diag- diagnosis on why the expectation hasn't played out uh, the way people thought it would? I, no, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, I think that um, it, it's the capriciousness of the weather um, above the ocean over the last six months. It just, it just I, maybe by chance that you know you didn't get the right coherence of weather patterns that would fall in line to sort of reinforce that. I mean, that's at least what I've been hearing is that it just you know nobody kind of saw that part of it coming. So is that what it takes though to get um, to get these? El Ninos, I guess it would be to get the sort of moderate to strong El Ninos off. Is It's not just about the baseline or underlying conditions. It's also you have to lop on top of that some of these weather events that can... As, yeah, as I think by need. chance, you know, you, you get some favorably favorable westerly wind bursts at the right time. You know, the, the Madden-Julian oscillation cooperates in the right way. And so those those westerly wind bursts would go back to what we were talking about before. It would sort of reduce the easterlies, yeah, allow yep. the warm water to sort of hang out in the East Pacific mm-hmm. and the it'd be, central. It'd be part of the reinforcement of that warm water um, in the right parts. It'd be part of the movement of the convection across the Pacific. Um, and, you know, and this is where, you know, the predictability of some of those weather things is not very good at, you know, six, seven, eight days. And so, we're, you know, we've you got to try to get that right at months to seasons timescale to get all this stuff to um, to work out. So, you know, I, we do some things really well, I think, with ENSO predictability and other things you just can't. You can't necessarily count on everything coming together the way you want it to. Yeah, and it kind of reinforces the fact that it's it's really difficult to to come up with analogs at any point in the season because each event seems to have its own little yeah, a little, little story. Yeah, we'll have a you know a diff, little different pathway there. You know, this again, I think that interesting. There's so much. There's a really interesting pattern of sea surface temperatures across the whole Pacific right now. With you know, it's warm in the West Pacific. It's warm in the East Pacific. It's warm in the North Pacific so, now. So it, you know, that uniformly warm, almost kind of all over the place, yeah. warm above average, the long term average. So um, it it looks in part like some of the past events, and in other events, it doesn't. You know, in other ways, it doesn't look like it at all. So, you, like you said, it's it's well, hard to find. A that's good actually for it. what's problematic about just looking at a specific region and characterizing yeah. Enso based on a specific region, because it could be, and I don't know, but it could be that the other parts around it or even further afield. Sure. Yeah, I I, I feel like we still have tons to learn. On, on this thing, and this will be another. This will be another entry in the the El Nino logbook to go back and study. 
Okay, I think it's worth saying, though, again, reinforcing that the expectation is still for the El Nino to form. Uh, maybe it doesn't uh, sort of evolve as strong as uh, some indications might have uh, might have suggested earlier. We were part of those indications that were suggested. That's right. That. I, <laughs> I, was, I was certainly I cheering want... for a strong event. I'll take full blame for that. I think, you know, the signs were there was some indication that we we had a good shot at that for right. a while and that has since faded but and believe it or not as bleak as it looks across the pacific um there's still over a 75 percent chance if not 80 percent chance that we're going to see an el nino event of some magnitude um, by the winter so that's that's good right and again um many of you already know this but el nino events tend to tip the odds toward a above average precipitation or, or more numerous uh, uh winter winter storms yeah um a weak event is a little is certainly not i don't think anything we're we're hoping for at this point because I, I, many of us across the southwest kept from california arizona new mexico want some relief from drought conditions, so I think we're cheering for a, a hopefully a moderate strength event, which gives us a little bit better better chance at, at seeing that above average precip. It's also worth saying, just interestingly, that the statistics, and admittedly these statistics are, are there's not a lot of, of of numbers of these events to look at, so the statistics become a little bit squishy. Uh, but during La Nina events, it tends to be the signal, a, a dry signal, is stronger. Much, than, yeah, much more. Reliable, much more reliable yeah. than than wet during El Nino. Yeah, years. yeah. So I mean, the the glass half full way of looking at this is that we're not going to have a La Nina next winter. Right, right, right. Um, okay. Well, I think that will do it for right now. We'll come back in uh, a month or so, unless I forgot anything, Mike. No, I think that we'll do the sort of mid August check in on on our rain gauge totals. Any tips on matlabbing? No, no. no Just. Comment. We'll have, comment your code. We'll have uh, we'll have Mike come back and give us his uh, favorite uh, user function of, of, of MATLAB next <laughs> next month, along with if uh, we have anybody come back and listen <laughs> after, along with an update of, of the monsoon. So we'll be well into nearing actually the the, the latter half or latter third of the monsoon by then. Yeah. So things should shape up, yeah, and and we should know. It should be clear what El, El Nino is going to do. Or we'll just <laughs> kick it down the road for another 30 days. By September, I would hope. All right. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, hopefully you'll tune in again in, in a month or so. I'm literally suffering from hypothermia in this room. <laughs> It is pretty. It is pretty cool. It is unbelievable. You know, it's 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 going to reach what one? It's, the, the gradient through the wall is probably eighty degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs>